This is Faye Simpson at the Lucid Body House podcast. Our episode today is meditating with the lucid body and my guest is Ananta. Ananta has taught Buddhism and meditation courses in Europe and the US and is a qualified mindfulness-based stress reduction teacher with Brown University Mindfulness Center and a trained yoga instructor. He has a keen interest in applying meditation and Buddhist teachings to social action and has worked with international Buddhist nonprofits and the United Nations with a focus on skill building of young people to engage in their societies. He is currently a fellow with the Interfaith Center running mindfulness programs with faith communities in New York. He has three crazy cats who I have met who are often seen running around the streets of Brooklyn, people's gardens, and up trees with him not far behind. Welcome, Ananta. <laughs> Thanks, Faith. Thanks it's for joining me. Yeah. Uh, Ananta is an ordained into the Triratna Buddhist order of which I am a member, and that's how we know each other. But I'd like to start, Ananta, with some background on you. Can you tell us why you first got attracted to Buddhism and meditation? Yeah, thanks. So uh, as you can hear, as the listeners can hear, I'm uh, from the UK. And so I was quite young when I got interested in Eastern philosophy. And I was looking for ways to apply it. Um, so I got interested in meditation fairly, fair, when I was fairly young. And it was when I first went to university that I sought out a meditation group and started to meditate with them when I was about 18. And not long after that, I got involved in in this tradition that uh, I've, I've continued to be part of. And it's, uh, yeah, it's a Western tradition. So um, it's, I guess, like a lot of Buddhist groups these days, but it, uh, it was, it aims to apply uh, Buddhist teachings in a context that's relevant for, yeah, people today living in, well, many parts of the world. Initially, it started off in, in the UK. So... I felt like that tradition really spoke to me and, and was able to translate some of the key principles of Buddhism and then in a way that I was able to apply them and continue to apply them to my life and my work. And and it was a bit like I got into it sort of increasingly because uh, I started off, you know, just being interested in meditation and being interested in how I could go deeper in meditation and then they would say you know kind of they were good marketers if you like but they would say <laughs> you know how about doing a course on Buddhism and finding out how you can apply this to your life because I was finding it a bit tricky to, to integrate meditation into everyday life like I go to my class and then I'd sit every day I didn't have any trouble really setting up a meditation practice but I you know I was in my early 20s and I and I had all this energy and different pulls and stuff like that so so it, I, I needed that support about how to integrate um, what I was doing on the cushion into into everyday life like be with like-minded people right be with like-minded people um, you know ethics is really a, a big practice mm -hmm. of uh, in Buddhism and, and, and not kind of a moralistic kind of do this do that but, mm -hmm how do you apply the principle of love how do you apply the principle of generosity or truthfulness in in everyday situations and, and in a lot of um, secular mindfulness 
classes these days there is a lot of emphasis on bringing this into you know everyday life so so great you know with like as, as a teacher myself of secular mindfulness i try and encourage students to yes do the work on the cushion and then take it off the cushion so that you can see what your reactions are and responses are when you're walking around the street or going shopping yeah you know i think my experience with getting involved with meditation and buddhism really is the backbone of the lucid body because it for me i was in a a uh, place of chaos had some health issues and meditating and then the community and just it made such a big difference in my personal life and in my actual physical life that I started working with it with my actors wanting to share what I was but but without using the buddhist word using mindfulness focus non-judgmental mind is a a huge part of the work um being present moment to moment is a big part of the work and also facing dropping into that which is in distress in the body so that you can find it express it and it doesn't it wreak havoc with your physical health as well as your relationships and around you. So I guess my my next question is I know you have been uh you've taken quite a lot of lucid body classes. And yeah. uh so hence the hence the bridge here with the my Buddhist life and and the lucid body life and Nanta's been in the room and has walked the talk. And so what can you say like how do you feel mindfulness and meditation how is it helpful alongside the lucid body process mm-hmm. i think that um you mentioned non-judgmental mind and i think that's a really that's a really crucial part in in meditation is turning towards what's there so um in buddhist meditation there's lots of types of meditation so so in, in buddhist meditation and, and a lot of secular stuff that is essentially has its roots in <clears throat> uh, uh buddhist meditation that this yeah this attitude of of being non-judgmental of 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 at least in the first step you turn towards what's present in experience um so i might be feeling angry or i might be feeling really sad i might be feeling depressed might be feeling really excited and really energized um and what the invitation is is to turn towards it and look at what's there and um and to be with that so there's a there's a knowing quality um uh, and and our minds and our psyches do really weird and complex things um and really wonderful things and 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 that's all really integrated with the body so um so yeah so so when we turn towards what's happening in the body mind there can be things that we find that we're not expecting there can be parts that feel you know there might be some rage that's on the surface and then I'll turn towards the rage and I'll sit with it and I'll sink into some sadness for example um or there might be some restlessness um 
that that I'm kind of you know I feel a bit, bit antsy and, and and restless and I'll sit with it and and underneath that might be some something that I'm avoiding something I don't want to turn towards you just just for example so um, so I think those are some of the um, the things that can you know to kind of build awareness and then build knowledge of ourselves in in what's actually going on so that I can respond from that place and and relate to others from that place um, um, you know the kind of thing like if you if you're in an angry state but actually what's underneath that is sadness and then you're relating to say a partner or a friend from a place of anger then that might okay. provoke an angry response mm-hmm. and then you've distanced yourself from the thing that you really want which is connection and maybe some empathy because you're feeling sad um, yeah you know that that I, I want to go get back into the how this applies to lucid body but just in reaction to you I used to be you know an emotion uh, an emotion addict uh-huh. the highs oh rage yes I'm so angry oh I'm so excited oh I'm so in love now I'm so sad you know and just like really attached to those emotions so when so I'm just sort of playing the devil's advocate a little because it's like in a one way that is I remember being a victim of that just you know drinking more coffee so I could keep that high so I could feel my feelings and actually sitting and and meditating it's it produces something else right it's a different it it goes into a different place that's yeah yeah underneath the froth in a way yeah yeah um so so uh uh, one of my main Buddhist teachers said to me recently that, uh, or said in a, not to me, he said it in a retreat I was uh, on with him. He said two of the most underrated concepts in Western Buddhism are rebirth and renunciation. And and so linking the renunciation to what you've just said is that um, those deeper emotions don't often feel that potent. Right. Um, and and so yeah, we can be addicted to the highs and the lows because they feel like I'm more alive. I'm more. I think mm-hmm. I'm more vibrant. Um, but actually, those actually my experience. So, so my experience is that is that feeling into some of those deeper emotions might not feel as as engaging in some respects, but it does feel satisfying. It feels a bit more true and a bit more real. Um, and then sometimes there might be like big heart openings or, or deep upwellings of, of sorrow um, and uh, yeah and sadness and, and, and maybe like existential pain and those are the things that yeah to, to me feel more real um, and I feel like they can only come when you know when there's a, an appreciation for all of the other stuff as well that might not seem so uh, enticing or appealing yeah yeah as you turn yeah. towards your feelings you know it's like it's like everything wants to be felt right so so everything and, and often we don't want to feel the things that don't feel that compelling because no 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 don't want you don't want you but yeah. but they 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 want attention too it's like the more subtle body i i uh there's a a kind of fear that and i certainly was one of those people that thought meditating all the time daily meditation would create a persona that is cold and detached non-emotional 
you know, f- lying flat, you know. And I remember experiencing when I was younger p- people that were uh, quote unquote Buddhists that I felt were like detached. Mm-hmm. And the more I have gotten into my practice, I realized that um, it actually, it, like you said, it makes me unable to avoid the truth of what's actually going on. And so there's no froth. It's the, that shame or that tenderness or that just a, a quieter place that is quite, it, um, even more emotional but like you said less less expressive yeah maybe maybe yeah maybe and and that can be the juice so linking back to the the lucid body question and how it links to lucid body to to me that can be so yeah the juice the substance which we could then potentially connect with and bring bring into the room, bring into the class, um, because I I guess I think that because those emotions do feel kind of a bit more real and more substantial, that being able to connect with them and communicate them will have a resonance with the audience. Right. I think some of those feelings that I see in the classroom as a guide. I think and many people who we do a little meditation in class but you know many people are not regular meditators so the process of lucid body is trying to get that same result of dropping in without judgment and finding areas that I think many people feel were not worthy of expression mm-hmm. that they they're not important enough and they're you know that that little twinge that little sense of insecurity it's just uh, I, I'll, I just get over it you know and so I think that what you were saying it sounds like that idea of a safe space if, if there's a process where it can be it can be invited into the room and welcomed because there is an audience or in a classroom there's not an audience but the other participants who are engaged in their own that then suddenly there there seems to be a universal connection oh other people are feeling this insecurity that maybe it, it actually is i'm not alone in that because i think sometimes that meditating all by yourself and hitting areas that feel confusing or not even you can't even put a word to it or it's hard to deal with on your yeah, own definitely definitely and that's where a big area of, of practice is around community and being around other people who are doing the same thing as you um which you have a lucid body and many meditation and buddhist circles have because yeah because this stuff is likely to come up um yeah and it's so helpful to have 
the support of other people um, to talk it through with. And and as you were saying, is I think the lucid body process invites you into those spaces quite yeah. deliberately. Like, where's your shadow? What's the what's the place that you hide and you don't share with people? So quite quickly, you're in that space, aren't you? Of, um, yeah. Where, yeah what, what, what uh, oh should i uh, duh, duh. so you kind of you have your leading edge and your you know the one that you keep hidden right. uh, in the background and, and and something that i experienced quite a few times in lucid body was that i would get to this place particularly where you or the one of the teachers was asking me to blend or switch between different uh, moods or imploded this or exploded that and, and, and I would get baffled I'd get to this place where I'd be really perplexed and I wouldn't know what I was doing and I and, I, and it would be a bit scary and, um, and and I'd feel a bit destabilized and and I think there's a familiarity for me in in meditation where you can get I could get into unfamiliar places and so I think my practice in those moments helped me out to just kind of stay calm, stay grounded. Um, but it, it, it was strong and, it, and it, it was, yeah, it was perplexing. And, um, and I would really appreciate it afterwards because I would be like, what happened? What happened yeah. there? I don't often get into that kind of state. Yeah, that's uh, very intentional that that we I, I train the teachers um, to have the participants surrender their ego their control so when you say switch here now go here now go here now go here and then you're not in control anymore right <laughs> you're in a in a place where um, you're just reacting and I find that many times our ego hides so much that our body has experienced, excuse me, <clears throat> it's hidden. The ego doesn't want to admit to that regret or feeling of revenge or judgment or all those things we try so hard as, as good people not to be. And so in a way there, I try to give a process where it's not about you. It's about this thing called revenge. Now it's this thing called regret. And now you're in it and now you're doing it and now you're expressing it. And when you lose control, that's when you get destabilized because you're out of your comfort zone and you are not in control. And I think that's part of the reason I wanted this conversation with you because more and more we are doing a lot of grounding exercises, hands on the wall, uh, get that um, sympathetic nervous system regrounded so that people can be safe in this process of destabilization and then restabilizing. But meditation feels like key to this process. That if you have a regular process of coming back to that center line, which is just your own, in a way you you get familiar with your own sense of stability. Yeah, someone once described meditation to me as controlled mental breakdown. 
<laughs> which is, it's a bit severe, but there, I think there's an element of that. Um, you know, essentially you're trying to do two things in meditation, Buddhist meditation. You're trying to bring the mind together, kind of from its scattered kind of habituals, shooting off in all directions, not quite fully knowing like what's what's going on. So it's calming the mind down and then looking like the insight dimension of looking into the nature of mind, um, the nature of experience. And that's more of the mental breakdown because because that's when you can get into these areas of, of, uh, of losing control. Um, and I think in lucid body, it was, it was, it was very immediate. I think for me, the experience of, of getting into that perplexed and, and, and place beyond control, probably because it was so, I mean, it is so embodied and, and it's so relational as well. You know, you're in front of people, <laughs> you want to be, I want to be doing the exercise to the best of my ability and drawing on these emotions. And so I've got all these emotions going on and, and I'm trying to do the exercise and, and then I don't know, somehow it culminates in this sort of bewilderment. Uh, or quite, quite, uh, a clarity of expression. If I remember correctly, you being in the room. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it could, you may say bewilderment, but I don't know if that's just your humility talking. I think there's a sense of power in large, strong expression, physical expression, that then the body will then quickly like, whoop, what was that? I'm confused, you know, I don't know what it was. But the more, of course, with actors who are doing this for a living and have to do this, that is their job. Step into those big shoes, step into those little shoes, step into new shoes, come back to center someone who's not in the theater not a uh, professional then it is like your experience it's uh, it's it's sort of like you do it once and then you're like what was that i don't know if i want to go back there or but do i feel space in my body do i feel like something was uncovered that's my hope is that that it's a therapeutic process for people not not damaging but it is i know it is um like a jump in the cold water. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to um, I wanted to talk about Rama Rod Owens. Uh, we both L- Lama heard Rod Owens. Lama, Lama, sorry, Lama Rod Owens. We we heard him speak at a webinar on justice and spiritual practice. He was so inspiring, but one of the things he said brought me to tears very quickly. And he said, throughout his 20 year practice of simplifying and shedding behavior that was unneeded and getting more and more to the truth of himself, that he experienced grief associated with those lost parts of self. And immediately, pictured that wildly ambitious you know dancer running here and laughing here and going to the parties and doing all the you know being extremely socially engaged and being extremely involved and and uh i thought yeah there are personalities that i've had to let go and i grieve them Mm. Mm. is that 
what's your take on that? Yeah, I I uh, I think it's really striking and a really um, poignant thing for him to have said. You know, when I think when I think of or think when people generally think of the spiritual life, perhaps who don't have much idea about it, you know, when you're just starting out, it's imagining it's going to be amazing and there's going to be <laughs> bright lights and I'll be so wise and people will love me and, you know, there'll be, there'll be no more problems. I think that's the a really common yeah. misperception I totally have had and still have. Uh, the magic pill, the magic pill. Totally. And so the realization so there's i guess there's the realization of of what progress means um and as well yeah the maturity i think we're back to maybe it's just my hobby horse at the moment but we're back to renunciation again but in a positive sense you know like like when you're a kid you really all you want is sweets and your dream is to have a sweet shop when you grow older for example and then you get into your teens and you want horses or you want boys or you want girls you know you want to you want to be a pop star and then you get a bit older you know you, your, your dreams and your ideals about what you want you know naturally evolve and hopefully we evolve with them through age um and then and then through through following this path i think yeah there have been there have been things i've had to let go of uh for sure um uh, like career was was really big for me um, um, until fairly recently, and it's not that I you know I, it, it's not that I have I say renounced career. I still believe in being engaged and being you know active in the world and, and so on. It's just that um, yeah, there's been a, there's been a shift in my relationship to work and, and to what it means mm-hmm. to be effective, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, I, and, and I, I also get that it's, it's also, it's painful to let go, even if it might be the right thing to do. You know, like letting go of a lover that, you know, it, you know, it should end, and then it's going to end, but you still don't want to because it was great yeah. that you had, or at least parts of it were great. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely mourn parts of myself. It's taken me a long time. I used to identify myself as the piece of physical theater I was creating at the moment. That would be my identity. That would be who I was. And if you didn't see the work, then you you didn't know me. I mean, I would... So grieving the artist in me <laughs> is... Uh, minor compared to the sense of calm and fullness I feel because of my meditation practice I have to say and I feel uh, much more just present with what's going on around me and less just kind of zinging in one direction that all I care about is this one piece as opposed to oh look over there what are those people doing what is that happening you know just feeling like much more connected to life mm-hmm. yeah right so that's the trade-off of letting go of what you think you want but sinking into something that is i guess a deeper wish which doesn't deny necessarily the 
you know that aspiration and 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 working in that field and yeah using you know channeling your energies in that way it's just a, it's a different kind of vision perhaps one that a, a younger you wouldn't have right. imagined possible right 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 and i think i was i was i was running on a lot of um traumatic steam i think i was running away from a lot of trauma Right. which uh has been pain painfully <laughs> faced <laughs> yeah yeah and i i do i i wanted to say that um and, and in relation to the point you made earlier about concerns around detachment in meditation which is which is certainly a uh, a risk and a danger um that meditation can be used in a way to detach ourselves from the world um uh, but it, it also is is really can be can be very fulfilling and, and give us back that agency so rather than yeah if there is trauma in our past and things that we're running away from giving us a a container so that we can sit with it and stay with it and and start to own some of these energies um, mm. and, and drives within us uh, and use those in a in a positive and meaningful way that's that's certainly been my journey and, and my continued aspiration is to is to keep looking towards this stuff um, mm. that, that comes up and, and use it in a way that is, is beneficial to others. Um, you know, that adage of I can't be of use to anyone until until I sort myself out. And yeah. yes, you can still help people without being completely sorted, whatever that means. But but um yeah, that element of self-care is is crucial, you know, to stay resourced and, and resilient in the face of uh, life and what is coming at us in, from so many directions. And, and self-care is, is a word everyone uses now. And it's, it, you know, self-care is just from listening to, it's a lot more than just sleeping well and eating well. It's, it's about facing oneself with true compassion, facing all the parts of self with true compassion. That, that to me is the ultimate in self-care because it's, it's then if we can accept all the parts of ourself, then we can be living in a, in the, with a full deck of cards as we help others or in service to others or in whatever pursuits we have. That's my experience. That's, yeah. So on that note, I want to tell our listeners that, that about the class that you and I are offering. It's called Meditating with Lucid Body. It's going to be November 30th and December 2nd from 2 to 5. It will be a Zoom class. You can uh, be in the comfort of your own home in Europe. And we made it so that it's Europe-friendly. And you just go to lucidbody.com to sign up for that. So, Ananta, thank you so much for this really inspiring conversation. Oh, you're really welcome. It's been a pleasure. And thank you for all the continued work you're doing for Lucid oh. Body and, and the community. Thank you all. And see you next episode. Bye.